Thanks for listening to the show. Join us online at playvolutionhq.com and learn how to support the show at explorationsearlylearning.com slash support. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that early childhood nerd podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. This is Heather. This episode's going to be a little bit different. It's a solo episode, so I don't have any co-hosts, just me, um, and and hopefully that's not too uh, frightening for anybody. <laughs> um, but a few weeks ago, I uh, posted on my Facebook page that I had a curriculum planning form or a lesson planning form that I had developed um, in my work with child care programs and providers that I uh, w- wondered if anyone was interested in, in seeing and trying out and hearing about. And I got a tremendous response from many uh, folks who like that page who were interested in seeing the form. So um, I'm going to do an episode here that sort of talks through my process, my thinking, and how to actually use the form. So if you're one of those people who asked for a copy of the planning form on the That Early Childhood Nerd Facebook page. You should have gotten a copy in your email by now. If not, um, I'm happy you can send me a quick Facebook message and I'm happy to send it out to you. We also have it on the Playvolution HQ website. So www.playvolutionhq.com. There's a section for forms on that site, and you can search um, that early childhood nerd curriculum planning form to find it there. So um, I, I think it, you can follow along the podcast here just fine if you don't have it in front of you. Um, but it's also pretty easy to pause a podcast and go and find the form and come back to the podcast. So, um, so just to t- talk about my thinking in in developing this new form, I was really frustrated with traditional lesson planning forms. Um, and le- and let me say before I get any further, I know that there are some folks who think that a truly child led program doesn't need any kind of pre planning or a pre planning form or a curriculum planning form. And that may be true for some teachers. Um, many of you who've heard the podcast before have heard Tiffany and I talk about Lillian Katz and her idea of the four developmental stages of teachers. The last two stages, consolidation and renewal, uh, certainly I think there, that teachers who have reached that stage in their professional practice may not need to do much pre-planning and, and um, are able to just do that child-led, uh, play-based learning without this. However, I have worked with many, many teachers and child care providers, family home providers, who um, maybe are still in that survival um, or, uh, oh, shoot, now I can't remember the second <laughs> developmental stage. This is where I need a co-host to, to hand this off. But, but I know that there are some teachers who just aren't quite comfortable with that yet. Um, I also know that there are programs where you're required to have a form uh, filled out beforehand and posted. So so I think that um, while I understand the arguments that are to be made for um, child 
led programming not needing this kind of of planning form. Um, I am not in 100% agreement that that is always the case. So what I have tried to do is develop a form that uh, can be maybe a pathway between um, where you are now and where you want to be in your work. Um, it was it was really frustrating for me and um, in my current position even sometimes still is when I'm given a traditional lesson planning form um, with a bajillion boxes to fill out and a theme that all of those boxes have to fit. Um, that can be very time consuming. That can be very exhausting. That can lead to planning things that aren't necessarily child centered, um, child led uh, or appropriate for the ages that we're working with. Um, so part of my reasoning in developing this form was to to lay out uh, a map, a guide for planning those kinds of things. Um, the other thing that I had in mind as I developed this was the tendency in child care culture to think about 9.30 to 11.30 or 9 to 11.30 every day being the time when learning happens. And the rest of the day is just sort of a free-for-all um, or we don't need to be as intentional in our planning in those other t- parts of the day. Um, when in reality, uh, learning happens all day long and there are opportunities for children to learn all day long. And we need to be just as intentional if we're the six o'clock closer as we do if we're that nine o'clock, uh, quote unquote lead teacher. So, um, so that was another thing that I wanted to address with this form is really being intentional and thoughtful about all parts of the day, not just uh, that morning, quote, unquote, learning time. Um, another another piece of this is um, it offers some advocacy and some education for families that we're working with or even for coworkers, colleagues, even sometimes supervisors can uh, can look at, at the way this planning form is used and see a different side of play-based child-led Learning. So as we're posting this for people to see, um, and I'll be able to give some examples of this as we go forward, it's also a really good tool to show other folks the value of the everyday learning that's happening in your classrooms or programs or homes. Um, so that's, that's the background for this form. Um, what you see when you actually are looking at the piece of paper is uh, five columns. They're just open columns, so there's still kind of a box-ishness to this planning form, but um, but it's it's five columns. Um, one column is social emotional development. One column is cognitive development. One column is language and literacy development. One column is physical development, and then the last column is approaches to learning. Um. There are no days or times assigned to this form. It's it's very open, so in that way it allows us to be flexible and to follow leads a little bit as we go through the day um, and really to move away from that traditional um, morning time is learning time mentality. At the bottom of this planning form, you see two lists. One, two bullet lists. One says, why is this being offered? And the bullet list, bullet items that I have on the form as it stands right now are a curriculum goal, the Indiana Early Learning Foundations, observation of child, 
questions slash interests slash stories slash play themes and family information. And each of those bulleted items has a color assigned to it, which I will explain as we get to it. The other column is method of instruction and the bullet items under that column are large group, small group, one-on-one, -on -one, teacher behavior, teacher language, provocation, and environmental change. And each of those items has a number assigned to it, which will also um, become clear. I want to go over to the first list for a minute, the why this is being offered list. This list is, list is a guide of starting places for things that we might put into the columns on that form. So when I work with, with teachers and child care providers and help them to start using a form like this, uh, they are instructed that nothing can go into any of these columns if it doesn't come from one of these sources that you see in the list. So for example, um, there might be something in a column that comes and is planned because it is uh, a program curriculum goal um, or our Indiana Early Learning Foundations, that's our QRIS program. Um, or there may be something that's in that column because you observed a specific child and were then prompted with this idea for a way to expand or extend or facilitate something you saw that child doing or just support what you saw that child doing. The same with the questions, interests, stories, play themes. You might put something on here to extend, expand, facilitate, or support something that you saw in their play or their questions or the books you see them choosing and the interests they have. Um, or last, that family information piece. These things, you'll notice there's nothing in this bullet list that says saw it on Pinterest and thought it was cute. There's nothing on this bullet list that says, well, it's the third week of June, and this is what we always do the third week of June. Um, so that really nudged some folks that I've worked with away from that theme-based traditional, um, you know, what Lisa Murphy would call the laminated lady um, at one extreme and, and those uh, beginning teachers maybe who are just a little bit dependent on what they do every year at this time. Sort of a, a gentle nudge out of that nest. So nothing can be listed on this curriculum planning form that doesn't come from one of those areas, one of those sources. And the reason that these are the sources is to give us practice in um, developing the habit of using the three core considerations of NACI's developmentally appropriate practices to make decisions about what we do with children in our programs. So for example, the curriculum goal and the early learning foundation, pulling from those two sources helps us to use what we know typically about children this age, whatever age you're working with, um, to plan for them. So that's the first core consideration of developmentally appropriate practice is what do we know about children typically? So by looking at um, things like, for example, I was in a program where we use the creative curriculum and there's specific uh, developmental goals attached to that. Um, and I'm in Indiana and our QRIS is called the Foundations. So if I was planning for a week with a group of children, one of the first things I would do would be to look over those goals and those foundations 
and plan a few things based on um, what I'm seeing there. So, for example, I might say um, that I'm going to play Simon Says and that goes in my language and literacy development column because I know that one of our goals is for children to use uh, both simple and more complex directions as we go. The second piece, observation of child and questions, interest, stories, play themes. Putting things on this plan based on those sources helps me to keep in mind the second core consideration of developmentally appropriate practice, which is what do I know about these specific individual children who are with me right now and how can I use that information to inform my decisions. And the last thing in that bullet list, family information, that refer or that helps me with the third core consideration, which is what is the social and cultural context this child is coming to me from. So I might uh, for example, if I know grandparents are visiting or grandparents are, you know, an important part of of what's going on in children's lives that week. And I plan some things around using photos of grandparents or other important extended family. Um, then then I am incorporating as much, you know, as much as I can, that third core concept or core consideration of developmentally appropriate practice. If my planning form was heavily reliant on things I saw on Pinterest and thought were cute um, as a self-standing source for planning or um, what I always do in the third week of June, then it's much more likely that what I'm planning for this group of children that I'm with now is going to be much, much less individualized. It's going to be much more adult directed. I'm going to have a much bigger, greater tendency to project my own goals and agenda onto this group of children or the individual children. Um, but by starting with these five sources, I'm really forcing myself to, uh, to be very thoughtful and deliberate and intentional and sticking with, again, those three core considerations of developmentally appropriate practice to make decision, decisions, excuse me, about what kinds of things to offer in the classroom. So for programs that don't have specific curriculum goals already outlined, or if you're a state that doesn't, uh, or a program that doesn't participate with a state quality rating system, um, or you're in a state or program where you have looked at those goals and those um, uh, milestones or whatever you want to call them um, that the, that the, that are being placed on children for you, and you just think that it's a mismatch or that it's not appropriate. Um, those first two bullet points could easily be substituted. There are, you know, there are certainly things that we know that children of, you know, for example, I'm working with one-year-olds right now. There are things we know that one-year-olds typically are working on, experiencing, practicing, exploring. So any, whatever your phrase is that you put in those first two bullet points, um, It, it, you know, that the language doesn't matter as much as long as the intent is that with the first two bullet points, what you're doing is based on that core consideration that our first level of decision making is what do we know about children typically at this age. So the colors that you see then the, that are assigned to each of those bullet points, um, when you actually do go to put an activity 
into the column, you would write or type it in that color so that a parent or a supervisor or a colleague um, could look at that and, they're, and they would see, oh, this isn't just uh, Miss Heather's bag of tricks. This isn't just Miss Heather's third week of June plan. Miss Heather has really looked and she's including um, things from different sources on this plan. But also they can look at it and see, oh, I didn't realize that singing Willoughby Wallaby Woo was helping to meet a curriculum goal. I just thought it was a fun thing to do. So what they see is being playful and fun and maybe less valuable. Um, they can start to connect to learning goals and valuable experiences and move, as I say, beyond the cute of what's going on with children. So I realize that as I'm recording this, well, as, as I'm recording it, I'm pausing often to collect my thoughts and catch my breath and 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 sort of refocus my myself for the next thing. I know that as a listener, this may seem really overwhelming. Uh, so I would encourage you maybe to um, just listen to a part at a time as we go forward. So we just went through the why is this being offered column. Maybe now's the time to take a little break, re-listen, jot down questions you've got. Um, before we get on to the next step of it. And certainly anything that I'm saying now that is still confusing um, or you need more clarification on, uh, you can email me or message me on the Facebook page. The Facebook page, if you don't know, you just find me at That Early Childhood Nerd. And my email is heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. And I'm happy to, to continue this conversation. But I wanted to have at least an initial opportunity to kind of walk you through this. Um, uh, but especially if you've really been using uh, traditional lesson planning forms based around themes with 20 different boxes and days assigned to those boxes, this is such a big shift that it may take a couple of think-throughs and maybe another talk-through before it starts to really fall into place. Um, I've worked with teachers who really needed a little uh, extra support as we go on, and I've also worked with teachers for whom it immediately felt comfortable. Um, I also want to say before I go further, I have several sample forms uh, filled out that I have used in training people, so I could certainly share those with you also. Let's move over to the second bullet point list, the method of instruction. This... Um, also serves several purposes, this, this single list. One is, again, in keeping with um, NACI's ideas about developmentally appropriate practice, one of the things that's discussed in that NACI book is that we have to have multiple teaching tools and methods. There's a continuum of teaching techniques that we can use with young children. Um, a lot of times we get we get sort of try to fit everything into one of two boxes. It's either completely free uh, child led or it's completely the only learning that's happening is what the adults are leading. And, um, and we miss this, this idea of a spectrum. So, um, so these are, these are the different ways that things that we put on these columns might actually look in the, in the setting, in the classroom or the home with our children. So it might be something that we do as a large group. And I'll just say, I am not a proponent 
of children being forced to participate in large groups or being forced to be in circle time. So on this planning form, when I say it's going to be a large group activity, I mean, I'm going to offer it to everybody um, and see if those who want to join can join and those who want to watch from across the room can watch from across the room. And I'll have lots of other things in the environment for those who don't want to participate to be part of and to still interact with while we're doing that. The second one is a small group activity where it might just be two or three children and one adult uh, exploring something together. The third is one-on-one, something that I might just do, as it sounds, one-on-one with one child. The next two were really a surprise for the first group that I tried to work uh, on this form with, teacher behavior and teacher language as methods of, of, of instruction. Um, I don't think we often are as intentional as we should be about changing our own behaviors to fit uh, what a child is showing us they need or changing the language that we use to help children explore and learn more deeply. Um, so some of the things that are written on the form, on the plan, might be might not be a thing that I'm going to do to a child or might not be a thing I'm going to teach or an activity I'm going to do so much as something I'm going to change about myself in my interactions with the children or my expectations or my positioning or something that I'm going to change in the way I use language with children. The next one is provocation. Those of you who've listened to the podcast know that I'm not a huge fan of the Americanization of Reggio. Um, but I do like the ideas of provocation. What I'm talking about on this forum, a Reggio purist would probably say, no, that's not right. And how dare you? I just mean, this is something interesting that I'm putting out for children. I don't care what they do with it. I'm interested in seeing where their own thought process processes take them. So very much along the same lines as loose parts. Um, but I, I chose to use the word provocation because I do like the, the way that that, um, uh, the image that that brings up for me, that a child is really being challenged and provoked and, and given opportunities to try new explorations. And then the last one is an environmental change. So something that you're changing in your classroom, in your home, in your setting, um, to be, to be intentional through the week. And again, you see there are numbers assigned. So once I put something in a column, it's color coded to tell me what the source is, why it's being offered. And then there's a number assigned to it to tell me, to remind me how I'm going to carry out that piece of planning. So if I was sitting down with a blank form and getting ready to do a plan, well, first let me say this. There's two different ways that you can use this form. Um, you can use it as a pre-planning guide to help you put your thoughts together for a period of time that you're planning a week, a month, whatever that might be. Um, and to make sure that you are, um, you know, if, if, if a supervisor is requiring you to turn something in beforehand uh, to show what your plan is for the week. So you've got it. You can also use it after the fact. So you're going through if you're one of those teachers who's very comfortable um, with a child led play based environment and being flexible, but also intentional through your day. Um, as you see things happening, you could start with a blank form. And as you see things happening, jot it into the appropriate column and make all the appropriate notations and still post it as an educational tool or an advocacy piece.
so that you can help um, all those sort of outsiders and outliers and lay people make connections between what you're doing in the classroom and what maybe their goals are for children. Um, so it, there's there's a couple ways you can use this. But going with the first way, if it's a pre-planning tool, I'm sitting down with a blank form. I might start by looking at a couple of curriculum goals or a couple of my Indiana foundations and just pick a couple for each skill area um, that I want to provide opportunities for practice or exploration with. And then I would think about, okay, so what kinds of activities foster that or facilitate that or support that? And then I would decide, okay, what column does that belong in? So, for example, um, one of the uh, curriculum goals when I was working with this um, two years ago in a program here in Indiana, um, one of the curriculum goals was for uh, children to be able to use uh, feelings language with each other. Um, so the activity that I thought I could do for that, or the way I thought I could support that, was simply myself to start describing feelings during conflict or negotiations and try to narrate children to each other. So I decided that that fit best in social-emotional development. Now, we know that children's development at this age, the domains overlap and are interrelated. So anything that we choose to offer to a child or or do for a child could probably fit in several co columns. So I just pick the one that I think it fits best in. So in this case, I put that in red because it's coming from one of those first two source points in the why in this, is this being offered column and I put it in red in the social emotional development column so the first thing in my social emotional development column is describe feelings during conflict or negotiation and then in parentheses I have the number five because that's a teacher behavior that's going to change um, or that I'm going to be more intentional about or maybe it's something I always do and I just want to call people's attention to the value of doing that and the reason behind it Um, one of the other curriculum goals that I used when I did the sample that I'm looking at for this podcast um, was that children develop balance. I mean, that's a pretty simple, pretty broad uh, foundation, but that was one of the things. So children begin to develop balance. So I decided I would create a walkway around the perimeter of the classroom using boards. So around the outside perimeter, I would just place several boards for children to use as balance walking practices or balance, you know, balance beams. They're not off the ground, but they're there. So I decided then that probably fit best in physical development. So in the physical development column, I have in red, again, because it's one of those first two source points, create walkway around perimeter of classroom using boards to promote balance. And in parentheses, then it has a number eight because that's an environmental change that I'm making. And I would do that until I had a couple of items in each column um, that come from those source points. So a couple of things in red uh, for each column there. And then I would move on to um, oh, the color blue. I, I conflate or got those two things confused, but the curriculum goal is red. Indiana Early Learning Foundation or the QRIS is in blue. 
Um, but it's the same process. I would look at it, pick a couple that I thought I could plan a couple of good things for, figure out which column they go in, put them in the appropriate column in the appropriate color, and then decide what method of instruction that would fit. Then I would look at my observations of children, and I tend to keep little quick, short notes. Um, I know some programs also mandate what kind of observation process you use or tool you use or how you record it. Um, I really just kept note cards most of the time. So I would look at my note cards and look at all the things I had ob- observed or noticed. I think I even worked with one classroom that just hung um, flip chart, the the post-it flip chart pages on the wall in their classroom. And at the top it just said, I noticed dot, dot, dot. And then they would just jot things down that they noticed that the children were playing with or interested in or asking or talking about um, or a new skill or something they hadn't seen them do before um, and just keep records in that way. So I would look at my information there and what I was seeing and learning about the individual children in my room and decide, okay, so what? What do I want to add or offer or change to continue to support or facilitate um, or offer different opportunities for exploration for that. So one thing I had was um, in an observation, I noticed that um, two-year-old Benji um, would had very intense reactions and would um, get frustrated very quickly and it would escalate very quickly. And I wanted to help him sort of develop some calming techniques. So I I just put on my form under social emotional development that with small groups, I would proactively practice calming breaths and model it and make it just something that we did um, before there was a problem. So that after there, you know, was an issue, I could I could help Benji in that way, but also other children would benefit from that. Um, One of the other observations that I had of a child was um, that, again, a two-year-old Jane um, loved to bring things in from the outdoors, and we didn't have any place to save those things or keep them or make collections or put them on display so that they could continue to bring those things in and see that they were valued. So in green, because this is coming from an observation of a child, In the Approaches to Learning column, I wrote, create a display and exploration space for items children find outside and bring to the classroom. And then I assigned that number eight because that's an environmental change. It would be the same process for that next bullet point. Um, Anything that I noticed based on questions children were asking, asking interests, stories, play themes would go in here in orange. And I think I just did the same thing um, where I I put that all together in the observation, but it's actually two separate colors. Um, And then the last piece is what what has what have the families shared with me, even if it's just during the morning conversation? Did we talk about a book they love or did they get a new dog or um, have they been sort of sleeping differently at home? And what can I what do I want to do intentionally that week with that information and without revealing who it's for or what the family was or what, you know, details about the family that, you know, you don't want to mess with confidentiality on this, but I can certainly plan things. Um, I had a four-year-old whose mom told me that she was trying uh, to find 
that the four-year-old was trying to find her name. Anywhere she saw print, she would look for her name, and she could identify her name if it was in print. So um, in purple, for family information, under language and literacy development for that particular uh, group, I wrote create and play a matching game using children's names and photos, and that would be a game that they're playing on their own. That's not something that I'm sitting down and drilling and flashcarding with them. Um, but I assigned that a number two because it might be a small group thing. If I saw children um, interested in engaging in that, I might sit down and join them. Or it could be a one-on-one. Um, it could also just be an environmental change because I've added that um, to the setting and allowing allowed that to be to be there for exploration. So that is a really super quick uh, overview of how this form could be used and why I think it's a really good tool. Um, I I would certainly love to hear feedback if any of you start to use this or practice this. Um, I have some plans for using this for some future writing. So whatever feedback I get, I cer- uh, would would really help me in that way. Um, and again, as I said before, if you have any questions, please send those to me or send them along. Um, but I, I have found, um, I guess the one, the thing I didn't say at the beginning was when I first started to use this form or started to think about developing, I was working with a very specific group of teachers and they were all, um, sort of frustrated with their planning process and the expectations that were being given to them. So what the first thing I did was have listening sessions with those teachers and asked them to tell me what was frustrating, what was difficult, what were the barriers, what were their wishes for planning. And and this form kind of came out of that. Um, And one of the biggest uh, barriers was time and activity ideas uh, to fill in all the boxes on their form and to make everything fit a theme was really time consuming. Um, so while it was difficult for them to let go of the idea of theme planning and daily boxes, um, once they got into it, they found it really freeing, um, and, and even found that it took less time because a lot of what they were putting on their form were things they were doing anyway. So it was also validating. Um, it was stuff they were doing in their daily interactions, stuff they were doing in the classroom and in the environment outside of that nine to 11 planning time that they themselves were devaluing because it wasn't written on a planning form. Um, so I, while there certainly have been folks who've had objections <laughs> and issues with the form, as there always will be, I have had a really overwhelming amount of positive feedback for this also. So um, so I want to share it with people because I think if it helped that group of teachers and there's been, you know, individuals here and there that I've been working with um, on a consulting basis using this form who have really felt like it, it helped them in their teaching. So I want to share that if that is is an option for you guys um and That's i know this is a really different episode now go get your nerd on doing it i appreciate you listening and um i hope that you will come back again next week for another episode of this has been an explorations early learning upstairs studio production oh Hey, we need your support to keep the podcasts flowing. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash support to learn how. One of the big things you can do is shop Amazon with the link we provide. You buy your cat food, you buy your kids' books, you buy whatever it is you buy on Amazon, 
You pay the regular price. We get a small percentage of it. Everybody wins. A lot of people are doing it. It really supports the shows, and we really appreciate it. Give it a try. Thanks.